All right, this evening, let's take our scripture quickly to 1 Corinthians 6. Thank you, Tori. I want to speak to you out of these 11 verses. I want to go very quickly for time's sake. We are talking about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a church of the move of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? They became behind in no gift, it says, in the first chapter. So when I say the gifts of the Spirit, I'm talking about the, the manifestation gifts. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, miracles. I'm sure people were healed. I mean, this was a church that was very open to the Holy Spirit. But we know that, that the gifts of the Spirit are grace gifts, charis gifts. Everyone say grace gifts. Grace gifts mean, what I mean is they're gifts given by the Holy Spirit. It's really not necessarily initially according to maturity level. A baby Christian can move in the gift of the Spirit. Now, I will have add a little side to that, and, and that is this, that the more mature a person come, becomes in the Word, and the more of the fruit of the Spirit that is developed in their lives, the more rich and meaningful that the gifts flowing through that person is. Because now, not only does that person ha have a flow of the Holy Spirit, a manifestation of the Spirit, but they also have it flowing through the, through the, through the fruit of the Spirit, but they also have more wisdom to, 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 to know when to operate that gift. I've seen people that had gifts, but they did it all at the wrong time. Uh, it, it, it wasn't done right. It wasn't, it wasn't ministered correctly, and it didn't have the right thing. So we not only need the gifts of the Spirit, we need the fruit of the Spirit, but we need the wisdom of the Lord, the wisdom that comes from the Scriptures. And so this is a, listen, this is the kind of church that it was. It was a church that had the gifts of the Spirit flowing. But there's a problem. It was also a church that was very carnal. It was a worldly church. Now, there were some spiritual people in the church. It was Chloe and their household that seemed to be mature and, and concerned about what was going on. But there's a lot of issues in this church in Corinth. Let me say this to you. And I'm going to prove it just by what I say here. I'm going to say something and I'm going to prove it. When this kind of stuff gets in a church, it is very hard to get it out. When carnality and bondages and strongholds and carnal people get rooted in, it is hard to get that out. You say, how do you know? Because here's Paul, here's Paul ministering to a church. It's the Corinthian church. He, the Lord used him to found the church. He was, in a sense, the father of the church. Now, I use that loosely, but, any, but he was. He was a spiritual father to the church. Others came and preached. Apollos came and preached. Cephas might have come and preached. I don't know. Some, there were a Cephas group there that kind of liked him. Some liked Apollos. Some liked Paul. Some said, no, no, we're just Jesus. You know, we're Jesus. We don't want to get in any group. A lot of issues, a lot of division. Paul was ministering here. We've already dealt with the issues. There's immorality in this church. There's division in this church. There's rebellion against spiritual leadership in the church. So Paul writes out of the apostle's heart of love and, and wanting, to, wanting the people to step up and to, to obey the scriptures. Well, we know that Paul went off the scene, right? Paul went off the scene. Others ministered there. But today I read a work, I, I read a non-canonical non work. Meaning, I read a, I read a work of, a, of one of the apostolic fathers, I'll explain what that is, that, that wrote to this church. 
And this man's name was Clement. And he wrote a letter to this church. He wrote a letter after Paul had died, after John, the old apostle, died. Clement ministered in Rome, but he wrote a letter. Now, we know this Clement because Paul speaks of him in Philippians 4, 2 or 3, I think. And he mentions Clement. Well, Clement wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. There again, it's not canonical. It's not equal to Scripture. But what it does, it gives... These, these, are, the, these are the spiritual leaders that, that led the church right after the apostles died. They're, they're disciples. They knew the apostles. They weren't the apostles of the twelve. But they followed them, so they were connected to them. Clement knew Paul. Clement knew Peter. He, he led the church after those guys died off. And guess what? He writes a letter, a non-canonical letter, but a spiritual letter full of Scripture. I read the whole thing today. I read the whole letter today. You know what it's about? It's to this church. Still having issues. Paul dealt with it here. But years later, still having issues. What was the issue? The church had expelled their ministers. They had expelled the apostles or the, the presbyters, the pastors and leaders. And Clement is writing to them to persuade them to repent and to come under the authority which God sends. And he writes, I read the whole thing today. It's quite long. I read it. It's, it when that gets in, many times it never gets out or until God just has to remove it like a surgery. But here's this church that Paul loves. And, and notice what he says here. Look at this. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things pertaining to this life? If then, you have judge, if, you, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter, an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do the, these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's immorality I mean, of all kinds, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Here's what the Lord spoke to me out of this for us. First of all, write this down, the criticism, the criticism. Verse 1, we have a criticism. We have a criticism from Paul. Dare any of you do this? So what we have is a criticism from a man who cared enough about a church to warn it. 
The false prophets are not going to warn anyone. But the true prophets of God, the true ministers of God, like this apostle here, is a man who loved the church enough to warn them. There are many kinds of scriptures. There are many kinds of sermons. But in, in, in the word of God, if the true word of God is being preached, these things will happen. Okay, these things will happen. You say, what things are that? Hear this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When the word of God is being taught like it is here by Paul, what we have is, first of all, a reproof. It is confronting error. That's what reproof is. Reproof confronts the error. But it doesn't leave us there because it not only shows what's wrong, but then it's reproof. It shows how to be right. Correction. How many know if we're, if we're in the wrong way, God says, I'm going to show you how to get in the right way. Reproof, correction. And then, and then it shows us how to stay in the right way. There's reproof. That's wrong. There's, there's the correction. This is how to get right. And then there's instruction in righteousness. How many know we need to stay right? Come on. You stay in this word of God, you will stay right. So we have a correction here or a criticism here. And what's wrong with the church is this. As I mentioned, it's still worldly. In the third chapter, he says, I wanted to share some things with you. There's some deeper places I want to take you in truth. There's some deeper things the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. There's some deeper places. There's some truths that I want to share with you, but you're still carnal. You're not able to deal, to do it. Wouldn't it be a shame to get to heaven and, and the Lord show us how much more he wanted us to do, wanted to do in us and wanted us to experience the depth of him in Christ Jesus and, and we just weren't able or weren't, weren't willing to do that. So what we see here is a correction. And we see a correction or a criticism rather. And then look at verse 1. Underscore the word a matter. There's a case here. There's a correction of what's going on. And then he says there's a matter. And you say, well, what's the matter? We don't know what the matter is. We don't know if it's a land dispute. We don't know if it's a if it's a property dispute or if it's a money dispute if it's a we really don't know what the case is but it's some kind of legal kind of case that brother is taking brother to court outside the church and going to ungodly courts and by the way the courts in those days completely unjust the poor and the those that had no power no influence always got the raw deal if you had the money you could win any court case because anyone could be bought. The courts in those days were completely unrighteous. And so we have a case here. But we don't know what it is. What we do know is this. It's probably a money concern, a property concern. We don't know. But what we, what we do know is this. It's an earthly matter. An earthly matter. Do you know that we, even Christian people, get all wound up about earthly matters. Things that, that are going to pass away. But yet we hold to them so tightly. We fight for them. We sue for them. But I can tell you, it's all going to burn with a fervent heat. I would to God that we would get that stirred up about spiritual things. I would to God that we would put as much energy in holding on to stuff that's going to rust and die out. I would we would get a passion for souls, a passion for prayer, a passion for Christ and his word. 
But these people in Corinth are so carnal that they have a case of some earthly thing that they feel like they're being cheated out of. Paul said this, look not on the things that you're seeing, on things that you're unseen. Then he also said, set our minds on what? On things above, not on the things of the earth. Jesus said this way, if somebody asks for your cloak, give me your, give me your cloak also. Hold on loosely to material things. We need to live simply, more simply. So we have the criticism of Paul. Paul said, how dare you do this to the church? How dare you besmirch the church's name? How dare you do this? It's criticizing. He says, this matter that you're dealing with. And then he, look, look at verse 1. We have a catastrophe. Verse 1. He said, and you go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. And Paul is saying, this is a catastrophe for the church. The church should be bringing glory and honor to Christ in the world. We should be an example to them of grace and unity. We should have so much grace among us that it attracts them. But here, he said it's an absolute catastrophe that you're taking a personal issue between one brother and another, and you're taking it before pagan courts. Unbelievers, he said it's an absolute catastrophe. The witness of Christ has been marred. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, if it loses its character, kingdom character, in that verse in Matthew, I just quoted 5.16 of Matthew, 5.13 of Matthew, you're the salt of the earth, is this. He just mentioned all the Beatitudes, right? And he said, if you lose that kingdom flavor, if you lose that Holy Spirit grace, you lose that Holy Spirit life, what good is it? What good is the church? Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. What good is the church if we're just like the world? What if, what if we hold on to material things just like the world does? What if we fight for material things just like the world does? We've lost our flavor. We're no good to God. It's like the man who had the plow turned back, went his way. Churches have done that. Oh, God forbid. Paul said it's absolute catastrophe. See, Paul's main concern for the church, really, I'll read this in Philippians 1.27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Is taking some brother to court over some matter, is that worthy of the gospel? No, of course not. Then he says, so that whether I come or see you absent, he said, I may hear of your affairs, good testimony, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Arm in arm, striving together for the faith, all of our energy. We're all locked in together, unity. We're all striving together to get this gospel out and to keep it pure in our midst. He said it's a catastrophe. And then verse, beginning of verse 2, we have the call. What is the call? Look at verse 2. He says this, do you not know, beginning in verse 2. And he talks about here, do you not know you, that the saints are judged of the world? We're going to judge angels. And he says, if you're going to judge angels, if you're going to assist Christ in the next world in judging the world, can you not judge this matter? And, and you know what he's saying? He's calling us to realize some things. First of all, he's saying, do you not realize that you are going to judge angels? mighty angels. How is that going to happen? It doesn't say. I don't know. I don't know, but it says it, and I believe it. 
We're going to judge the world. We're going we're to co-reign with Christ and serve Christ. Somehow, we're going to judge the world. We're going to judge mighty angels. How in the world could you not judge in small matters, he says. And then he says, we need to realize the wisdom that we have to judge these matters. What, what do I mean? The Bible said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We have the answer. Do you hear that? We have, he said, we have, you have the mind of Christ. We're not left without wisdom. We know how to fix marriages. We know what young people should be doing. We know how to spend our money. We know how to relate to this world. We know when a difficulty comes, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Do you not realize that you have the answer? We can solve it in the name of the Lord. You need to realize this. And then we need to realize that the least in the church have more wisdom than some ungodly pagan judge somewhere. You could take the weakest, most uneducated person in our church. And if they know the Holy Spirit and have read the Word of God, they're more able to judge in spiritual matters than any Ph.D. that knows physics or chemistry or whatever they do, some rocket science. Just because you're wise in this world does not qualify you to judge on spiritual matters. We do know we're in another kingdom now. I mean, we do know we're in a, we're in a whole other kingdom now. We're in the kingdom of God. The people that are lost are not in the kingdom of God. How could some person that's unregenerate, that's lost, that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, how in the world could they judge in spiritual matters? They don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit. All they have is a sinful, fallen nature. What we have is the Holy Spirit. What we have is the sword of the Spirit. We can solve it. The least, Paul said, set the least up. Paul said you need to realize, verse 5, how shameful this is. Look at it, verse 5. He says here, I say this to your shame. Is, he says, is it that there's not any wise man? He said, I say this to your shame. In other words, this is a shameful thing that's happening. This is happening before the unrighteous. This is a damaging thing. He's saying to the Corinthian church, I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care if you lay hands on the sick and everyone is healed on Sunday. I don't care if you have a word of knowledge and you can read everybody's mail. This is a shame. You can't step over. The, this has to be fixed, Corinthian church. This has to be fixed if we're going to be effective in the world, he's saying to us here. That's the weight of this passage that's before us here. It's before the unrighteous. Damages us. Damages the church. Damages others. He also saying that we need to realize that it would be better to lose everything than to dishonor Christ. Look at verse 7, please. Verse 7 says, Now for already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why do you not let, them, let yourself be cheated? See, the glory of Christ, bringing honor to Christ, is more important than all the millions of dollars in all the world. You may lose everything, but if you keep honoring Christ and glorifying Christ, you are rich. Look, notice what Paul said. Notice what Paul said. Listen, we hang on to this stuff. We hang, listen what Paul said. This is Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But what things were, were gained to me, 
See, some people think they're rich. They're absolutely poverty-stricken. But they live in mansions, but they're poor. They don't have a care in this world. They're absolutely destitute. Remember what James says? You rich, you, you, the, 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 your, your riches, or the, the judgment of God is coming over you. Your riches are going to be corrupted. Man, oh, James, he puts judgment on them, man. He said, what things were gained to me? Philippians 3, 7. These have I counted lost. Yet, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul was saying this. Here was, here was Paul's value system. Paul's value system was this, that he, if you took all the riches of the world, they would be like trash to him compared to Christ, compared to the riches of grace, compared to the gospel. And Paul writes to these Corinthians and say. Why don't you let yourself be cheated? Because see, here's the thing. For the believer, losing is gaining. It doesn't, the world. I mean, listen, I've been reading a lot of the church fathers lately. It's amazing how these people thought. It's amazing how they lived. They really lived out the scripture. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to tweak it. Okay, I'm going I'm to modernize it. I'm going to make it relevant to my American society. No, these people lived out these principles, even if they were persecuted they truly believed they were in a new kingdom and they were a separate people. And those people, they lived this. And here's Paul saying, listen, to lose is gain. You lose, but you win. Going down is going up in the kingdom. Going up is going down. God, will, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. You exalt yourself, you'll be humble. It's a, it's a kingdom that's so different. And Paul said this, Paul said, notice this, your call is to know that you're going to judge the world. There's honor, that, 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 that you, you have the wisdom, that the least in the church have more wisdom than the world, and, and that, that it would be better to lose everything than to dishonor Christ this way and to drag his church out into the world. And I can tell you, a lot of churches have done this idiotic thing and besmirched the name of Christ and every one of them said, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And they were all wrong. They were all wrong. I don't care what their issue is. The word of God is paramount above all. I had a man years ago that was doing this very thing. We showed him this chapter. We said, this is what the word of God says. You know what that fool said? That fool said, I know what it says, but I still think I'm doing the right thing. That man is in eternity right now, and I would not want to be that man. I would rather lose everything than to dishonor Christ by disobeying his scripture. Paul said, it's a catastrophe. You're a child of God. Don't you know your position? Don't you know your calling? And here's what he said, verse 5. He uses the word among you. Is there not a wise man among you? That's community. The community, the church should have a spirit of wisdom within it. There should be wise men in this church. There should be men in this church that are, have so much wisdom of God that we can solve these issues in the power of God and in the wisdom of God. And not let carnality win the day. The church has the all-wise God on our side. 
we have the word of wisdom that is given by the Holy Spirit. And he's called us to also, in James 1 and 5, pray. If you like wisdom, pray. We have prayer. Think about it. We have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. We have the scriptures that are wise unto salvation and, and guidance that guides perfectly. And then we have the God who said, I'm the only wise God. Every problem can be solved no matter what it is in your life personally and in the church. Aren't you glad? Amen. I pray for wisdom among us, great wisdom of God. Two more things and we're done. There's a connection here, verse 8. So I've given you this. I've given you the criticism, the case, the catastrophe, the call, the community. Now here's the connection. Look at the connection, verse 8. Here's the connection. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. Here's the connection. You say, what do you, what do you mean a connection? It's this. Look at verse 9. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says this to the Christians, the, the ones involved in this. You do wrong. And then the next verse, which is not really a verse there. It's just the word. He says, don't you know the unrighteous? So think about this. Where does he connect the believers? Does he connect them with Jesus? Does he connect them with the kingdom of God? Or in this wrong, are they connected with the lost world? He connects them with the lost world. He says, you're just like the world. This is what they do. And the activity that you're doing, he said, listen, that's just what the world does. He lumps them in with all these, these what they call the Greek vice list. That's what they listed there. And here's what he says here. What they're doing connects them not with God, but with the lost world of unregenerate people. He said, you do wrong, just like the world. Sin is dangerous, and no one can live like this and inherit the kingdom of God. You hear this? Now look at me here, because I'm done. No one can live like this. You may be a believer. You may call yourself a believer. You may have bought into the lie of the once saved, always saved lie. It's, it's going to damn more souls than any doctrine that's ever been produced by the church. It is a dangerous doctrine. Let me say it loud and clear. Let me say it on the video. We believe that once saved, always saved is a heresy. You cannot prove it by the Bible. You cannot. Here's what the word, I just give you one verse. I could give you 80 verses. Listen to this verse. This is just one verse here. I could give you 80 verses at least. Romans 8, verse 13. Paul's writing to the church, writing to Christians. 8, 13. For if you, for if you, he's not talking the lost. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. He says, you will die if you do this. You're not dead right now. You, you see the verse? A third grader could understand the flow of the language. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit put the death, death mystery to the body, you will live. That's just one verse. Don't tell me that it's a, don't tell me it's come to the altar, repeat a little prayer after a preacher with no life, no connected to obedience, 
No connection of love relationship to Christ. That's not salvation. That is not salvation. Any salvation that some preacher tells you you have that doesn't connect you to an obedient love relationship abiding in Jesus Christ is not New Testament salvation. Old Charles Spurgeon had it. If the grace which I have professed to have received leaves me in the same condition I was before I received it, it's not New Testament salvation, end quote, Charles Spurgeon. Did you hear that? If the grace which I've received, professed to have received, leaves me in the same condition I was before I received it, it's not New Testament salvation. Here's what Paul says again. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He warns them to not sin against God. And he's talking about habitual sin. He's not talking about one sin, but he's talking about sinning against God and habitually sinning against God. And he warns them. He said, listen, don't you be deceived. Are you hearing me? Don't you be deceived. You've got to live for God. You've got to stay clean. You've got to abide in him. We'll be cut off the vine. Romans 11 says that. He'll cut you off too. Romans 11, look at that chapter. He'll cut you off too. But thank God there's mercy and grace that we can have the strength because God gives it if we want it. And then I close with this. The conversion. So I've dealt with the criticism, the case, the catastrophe, the call, the community, the correction, the connection, but now the conversion. Verse 11, beautiful verse. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were just sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What's he saying to them? He's saying, this is what you used to be, but you turned to God in repentance. You were converted. You were converted. I mean, this conversion was more than a theoretical thing. It was more than an empty profession. There was a moral change in them. There was more than a judicial being righteous. There was a real Holy Spirit change of righteousness that he produced in us with a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone anymore, a heart of obedience. And then he says this, you were washed. That was by the blood. Oh, thank God for the blood. You were sanctified. That means set apart for God and made holy, set apart from the world. And you were justified. That means you were declared righteous. Thank God for the power of this gospel. Very sad church. Let's all stand. We'll, we'll conclude. I wish I had time to go slow. I know we prayed and, and the kids. I've already gone 20 minutes too long. And I, I really, we'll get out here and get it all synced up. I really want to respect the teachers down there. They're with our kids right now. And, but I want you to see this church. This is, this is the wayward church. This is the Corinthian crisis. Do you see the crisis? That's our series theme, the Corinthian crisis. Paul's word to a wayward church. I mean, here's people that have confessed Christ and they confess that heaven's my home and my treasures are in heaven, but yet somebody did something. I'm taking it to court. Bless you. You did me wrong. You, you, you took my money and I'm going to get it back. And then it just yanked everybody out in the world and the church's name was besmirched. And who would want to go to that? Who would want to go to that? Nobody want to be a part of that. And Paul, man, he lays the leather on those folks. But let me tell you, they need a little leather laid on them. They need a prophet to come in and clean up the church. And they didn't get much cleaned up because 50, 40, 30, 20, whatever it was, I don't know the time frame, Clement writes them another letter. They got rid of all their presbyters. And in the letter, I wish, I wish you could read it. You need to read. Read the letter to Clement, to Rome, the first one, not the second one. The second one was a pseudonym that wasn't the same guy. But the, the, the first letter, I don't want you to read that. It's not scripture. 
It's not scripture. It's like reading commentary. It's like reading history. It's not scripture. This is scripture. This is the canonical. This is the canon's close. We don't add anything. We don't believe the apocryphal part of that. But it's history. Read it. Use your mind. Read it. And what you're going to see is he's saying that these presbyters, these pastors were men of God. They were holy. They were there by the authority of Christ. Each person has been called in the kingdom and has a place of authority. And, and every, every person, it talks about pastors, it talks about the deacons, it talks about that we need, to, uh, we need to submit humbly. And here's this guy, hardly out of the first century, you know, or in the first century, and, and he's, he's trying to draw them back. He says, you know, you need to repent, you need to humble yourself. Man, this, what a church. What a church. What is this message tonight? This is a warning. Here's the, here's the, here's the tied off. Here it is. Our treasure's in heaven. Let's hold loose to things. Let's don't use the world. We have the wisdom to solve our problems and be what Jesus wants Trinity Life Church to be. Amen? Great church, a loving church, a unified church. Praise God. Thank you, Father. I pray that each one would take this teaching and preaching tonight. And, Lord, that they would apply it to their hearts. And, Lord, that we would apply it communally, that we would apply it together as the church, that, Lord, us together that we would dwell together in unity, a real unity, a true unity of the Spirit of God. And, Lord, that we care for each other. And it's not about this suing thing, that if our brother needs something, we just give it to him. You can have it. And we hold loosely to this world. Father, we thank you. Bless us each one tonight. Keep us safe as we go home. Bring us Sunday for an incredible day in your mighty grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you as you go.